0: Rodriguez is in white. Mackenzie Dern is in black. Yes, yeah, she's she's really been working hard to close that gap in in her striking differential. Her talents are not there necessarily, and she's not setting it up as nicely as somebody with the striking experience of Rodriguez. There you go. Big right hand, Dern. This is what she has to do. Mackenzie will give up a weird position to get this fight to the mat. She doesn't care as long as she can get it into a grappling exchange. Nice work from Rodriguez. Mackenzie Dern back out in the open where she doesn't necessarily want to be for too long. Stopping it. Ah! <laughs> for the challenger, back in 30 seconds. By right, round two, what I meant to say at the end of round one, not the challenger, but a good round for the underdog. Now she might be able to get a throw. This is good no matter what for yes. Mackenzie Dern. She has got the fight exactly where she wants it. Now she's mounting her. With this is what she's gotta do. That'd be great for Mackenzie if she can get a TKO finish here. A dominant round two for Mackenzie Dern. Every round in mixed martial arts begins on the feet. We'll see how long Rodriguez can keep it there. Four minutes here, round three. High kick, partially for Rodriguez. She's gonna start landing, John. Yeah, these are big. And how do you like that for an answer after round two? Oh, man. See, the confidence of Rodriguez growing with every land. Oh, nice liver oh, knee go there, go there go right to the limb. Oh, boy. Oh, man. See, you've got to be careful with that. Oh, beautiful knee. Wow. She's gonna survive. We're getting hit anyways going back. We're getting hit anyways. So let's go forward. About three and a half minutes now to decide this one. Oh yeah, beautiful left-hand connection by Rodriguez. So now right over the top. Huge knee late for Marina Rodriguez. For the winner, by unanimous decision, Marina! Rodriguez! gypsy king Tyson Fury. Meanwhile, Assad and beaten, Deontay Wilder has left the ring. Don't ever doubt me. When the chips are down, I can always deliver. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 106 of the DLSS podcast. I'm your host, D-Love, Thank you so much for joining me. We didn't have the busiest weekend in combat sports, but damn, was it a memorable one. Of course, we had UFC Fight Night, Dern versus Rodriguez, and we had the trilogy, the heavyweight championship fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, and damn, did it not disappoint. And in my estimation, probably one of, if not the best heavyweight championship fight in the sports history. So a lot of things to talk about this show, jam-packed, and we're going to go ahead and look ahead to next weekend at the end of the show. And I'll give you my picks for the next UFC Fight Night card. Aspen Ladd is actually coming back to face Norma Dumont in the main event. So no time to waste. Before we jump into the action, got to make sure to shout out the sponsor. Thank you, Dave DeCourcy and the DeCourcy Group. Guys, if you need to take any cash out of the equity of your home or if you need to get a loan in order to purchase a home, do support the people that support the show by going to www.thedecourcygroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group and let them know the DLSS podcast sent you, and it would definitely help us out a lot. But no time to waste, so let's just jump right in. Starting at the bottom of the card, Steve Garcia gets a dominant TKO finish in the second round, 1 minute 51 seconds of the second round over Charlie Antiveros. 30-47 and significant strikes landed, so pretty much total domination from beginning uh, to end of this one. Second fight of the night, Lupe Godinez ends up getting a submission, 1 minute, I'm sorry, 4 minutes 14 seconds of the very first round over Savannah Gomez-Juarez. Who did have the last minute call up so hopefully under a full training camp she can come back and have some success. You know getting your foot in the door you got to do what you got to do. So shouts to her and congratulations to Lupi Godinez. Then that brings us to the third fight on the card which actually probably produced my favorite soundbite in the history of commentary coming out of the UFC. And you guys know I love my sound bites. obviously with the intro to this episode and many others I, I like to put together. Little soundbite packages. But Damon Jackson versus Charles Rosa. Let me just play the soundbite real quick. Oh, look at the blood just streaming out of Damon Jackson still. And he's totally unfazed, right? We're yeah, loving it, buddy. He's looking at us now. These guys are in his scrap. So context, if you're not familiar, uh, Damon Jackson, uh, later in the third round after a really back-and-forth, close, competitive, grueling fight by both guys, uh, gets clipped with a spinning back elbow, TKZ-style, Versus Uriah Rodriguez, the one where he knocked him out last second of the fight. Charles Rosa spins uh, backwards and clips Damon Jackson right on the side of the temple. And it's a gusher, man. It's literally spouting blood. One of the bigger pools I've seen in a long time in the UFC And uh, I just love this soundbite because if you guys can barely, if you listen closely, Damon Jackson is literally looking over at the commentary booth and talking with them as he's just pouring blood, not giving a fuck, just wearing a crimson mask and just gutting out the rest of the round. And ends up coming away with the victory, unanimous decision over Charles Rosa, which is a difficult fight, uh, period, but then especially if you're going to try to bring it to him in the grappling department because Charles Rosa, that's one of his stronger suits. So there's a lot of scrambling in this fight. And like I said, a heavy pace from beginning to end. But congratulations to Damon Jackson on uh, probably setting a record for the amount of uh, pints of blood that he lost in one single fight. As well as uh, getting a good victory over a good name like Charles Rosa. And then the next fight was the big boys heavyweight Alexander Romanoff versus Jared Vandera. And this one, it was like I was talking about last week, is one of those where the MMA gods like to fuck with you. And, and even though there's so much potential, so much like kinetic energy, that the, there's something could pop off in any second. With these heavyweights, it only takes one, as we always say. So a lot of times they're either trying to pace themselves so they don't gas out or they do respect the power of their opponent. So both these guys came out relatively slow. Looked like they were feeling each other out. And I was like, oh, great. Is this going to be a snooze fest? Is this going to go all three rounds? And these guys are going to be super tired at the end of it. But... Eventually, this thing started to heat up. In the second round, Alexander Romanoff repeatedly taking down J- Jared Vandra Eventually got him tired. Ended up TKOing him at 4 minutes, 43 seconds of the second round. And moving on to the main card. Opening up was Chris Gutierrez versus Felipe Calares. Chris Gutierrez ends up coming away with a unanimous decision victory over Calares. And as the fight played out, it was, a, it was actually a lot more even than I expected it to be. And then uh, Chris Gutierrez kind of came on strong, I feel like, in that third round. And that was the, the fighter that we expected to come out in the first round, but he's definitely a lot more measured, wants to make sure not to overextend himself and put himself out there unnecessarily. Uh, he is known for the cap kicks, and he definitely landed uh, a significant amount of good, strong leg kicks. But uh, ultimately, was uh, able to just walk Kalara's down and uh, ultimately land the more significant strikes throughout the fight. 115 out of 165 total strikes thrown. Uh, versus the 70 out of 178 thrown for Calares. So, as far as the numbers bear out, it was pretty much a dominant decision victory for Chris Gutierrez in the opening fight of the main card. And, you know, as I said last week, guys, this, this card was kind of a hashtag just some fights. It didn't really blow your hair back with uh, the, any of the performances necessarily. Uh, and I feel like that's kind of that's fair to say. But as far as this, this next fight, Sabina Mazo versus Maria Agapova, or Agapova, if you're John Anik. And, I mean, I'll go ahead and lean towards the GOATS pronunciation, because John Anik's all about it. He's always going to be getting this shit right. And, uh, yeah, so Agapova comes out and pretty much dominates the fight everywhere, which, uh, in the stand-up, is where I thought uh, Mazo was going to have a significant advantage. But uh, Agapova's boxing and her distance management, and uh, she was just picking her shots, and her power was uh, definitely something that was uh, putting Mazo on notice, and I feel like took her out of her game early on in the fight, and uh, she herself probably expected to have success on the feet. And when she was getting tuned up early, uh, it was just all down hill from there. She had uh, Agapova landed a bunch of clean, hard shots throughout the fight, a uh, couple that snapped Mazo's head back. And then less than a minute inside the third round, both girls come together in an exchange, and Agapova ends up throwing a hard cross to the body. She's in a right-handed stance. She's in a southpaw stance. So she throws a left cross to the body, and then a right hook up top that ends up stunning Mazo, dropping her to the ground. She's noticeably rocked. She gets dropped to her hands and knees. And before you know it, Agapova just jumps right on her neck. She sinks in a rear naked choke. She doesn't even throw in one ground and pound shot. Uh, it's noticeable that Mazo is completely out of it. So Agapova's got great finishing instincts and then jumps right on it. I think the time between catching her with the right hook that dropped Mazo and getting the tap must have been maybe a second or two. So dominant performance by uh, Maria Agapova. Night and day difference from her UFC b- debut in her last fight against Shannon Dobson. So it looks like she's uh, putting things together and has reset. And we'll see where she can go from here. There was a lot of rumblings about her switching up gyms and moving from camp to camp. So we'll see if she can settle in somewhere and start to string some wins together. Because she definitely looks like she's got the talent, and you know, because she's she's only twenty four years old too. So she's got a lot of time to grow. She's super young. She's got a lot of time to improve, so we'll see see where her ceiling is. But congratulations for a dominant victory for Maria Agapova. And then this next one is the one on the card. You know, sometimes you always got to get a friendly bounce one way or the other uh, in terms of, like, your picks or your betting. I mean, I went 8-1 on this card and got the Fury fight, so 9-1 on the week. Again, only three points behind Nate now. Whoop, whoop. But this is one of those ones where... I was sweating, and I almost feel like uh, I got away with one because uh, Mateus Nicolau ends up getting a unanimous decision victory over Tim Elliott when I thought this fight could have gone either way when it went to the judges, obviously depending on what you perceive as effectiveness. Tim Elliott and the overall significant strikes did outland him, but only, um, Nicolau, but only by six, six points or six shots, and then they both technically secured one takedown each and shouts the loyal listener and uh, predictions challenge contestant jose nunez because we are always in a thread a, a text group during the fights and he was saying that tim Elliott was just messing around too much he wasn't taking it serious enough early in the fight and obviously uh, james kraus he actually addressed that in the corner and said look i love that you're feeling yourself i'm loving the swag because that's Obviously, Tim Elliott needs to be in that mindset to feel loose and to be able to like perform optimally. But there obviously there is a line. There's a marginal returns to that, where a butter zone, where you gotta feel loose, you're gonna feel good, you're feeling yourself, but you gotta stay focused and you gotta be able to show the judges that you know you're able to inflict damage. Not just that you know you don't feel that like you're in danger at any point during the fight. So, uh, shouts to Jose for pointing that out because I think he's absolutely right. And that first round, he might have given away to in a certain sense because of that. And uh, once he started to focus a little bit later into the fight, then he was making it more difficult for Nicolau, but ended up getting away with one and Mateus Nicolau gets the victory. And then the co-main event, Randy Brown versus Jared Gooden. Jared Gooden ended up missing weight coming into this contest. So there was a little bit more bad blood than there, there was already between him and Randy Brown. Randy Brown wanted to go in there and make a statement but the first front kick that he threw he ended up dislocating his big toe on Jared Gooden's jaw and Jared Gooden the mule that he is he just ate it and just kept coming forward throughout the whole entire fight and went all 3 rounds and uh, mixed with that and the damage that Gooden was doing with some pretty significant leg kicks Randy Brown's mobility was affected he had to switch a lot more than he normally would have he wasn't necessarily able to uh, you know pick apart Jared Gooden the way that he felt he was he was able to he wanted to but I feel like you could kind of tell that there was that frustration and there was that anger, that eagerness to get the highlight reel KO and to put Jared Gooden on his back because he was uh, Brown was a little bit pissed off in this case. And that sometimes when you force the knockout and you're trying for it, uh, you know, it, it keeps it from coming. So anyways, he was still able to be effective and dominant 115 to 81 in total strikes landed in Randy Brown's favor. So dominant victory overall. And uh, he's been really looking good as of late. He's gigantic for the weight class. He's very long. He's got a lot of different uh, skills and he's dangerous everywhere. So I'll be really interested to see who they put him up against next. And now moving on to the main event of the UFC card, Marina Rodriguez ends up securing a unanimous decision victory over Mackenzie Dern. These ladies showed out in the main event, ended up securing fight of the night honors. Little side note, all females ended up securing all the performance bonuses on this UFC card. So congrats to them. But man, this fight kind of played out like I expected it to. And you could check me on that last week when I gave my breakdown and my pick for this fight. I thought if Rodriguez was going to be able to secure the upset victory, that likely that she's going to have to win by decision. Mackenzie Dern is a gritty competitor. She's extremely tough. You know, obviously lights out on the ground, so you're not submitting her. So it's tough to get her out of there. And Marina Rodriguez was able to secure the victory. And I'm going to talk a little bit about her uh, towards the end of this recap, because I want to focus in a little bit on Mackenzie Dern at the beginning here. And to say that there was an extreme gap between the skill level and the striking department between Rodriguez and Dern, is, is, it's not an understatement, but it's, I'm not overstating it either. I mean, it wasn't a surprise that this was almost kind of a throwback matchup in terms of striker versus grappler generally. But I want to make sure to give praise where credit is due because outside of this particular uh, performance, like it's been quite obvious that Mackenzie Dern has taken major strides over the last few fights in terms of her striking, especially the boxing, you know, credit to Jason Perillo. And, you know, I felt bad for him in that spot because as a coach, sometimes, you know, when you come off a tough loss like this, you might feel like you had failed your athlete or maybe you didn't do what you needed to do in order to get set them up for success. And I don't feel like that was necessarily the case. I felt like it was a comfortability thing. She's only been, you know, confident, quote unquote confident in her striking over the last few fights and when you're going up against someone like as good as Marina Rodriguez in the striking department, that's really going to put you in a tough spot if you're not able to even utilize the striking, the limited striking that you have in order to set yourself up to execute your more dominant skill set, which is what I kind of feel like played out here. So I want to read you a little bit of a, a DM exchange that I had with Perillo after the fight took place because, again, given the spot he was in as this fight came to a close, you know, I wanted to make sure that he knew that there were some people out there that did see what he was doing as far as, as from a coaching standpoint, and that, um, you know, I felt like he did a good job, all things considered. And, you know, just because they didn't come out with the win doesn't mean that he doesn't deserve praise for the things he did well. And so I reached out to him, and I basically just said, like, you did an amazing job, coach. And I told him, I can't wait to see McKenzie level up from this. And then he replied with, thanks, man. And then he went on to say, McKenzie didn't fight the way that she can. He also said, this is a little nugget that I didn't know. He said, we came into the arena at 115 pounds the night of the fight. Not good. And, you know, I'm not a fan or I'm not going to push on extreme weight cutting for people. But at the same time, the way the circumstances are now, if you're going to come into the night of the fight, an actual contest, the exact same weight that you weighed in 24 hours prior on the official scales, then there's a very good chance that your opponent's going to come in heavier than you. And in this particular case where she's going to try to impose a grappling heavy game plan, try to get it to the mat and submit her opponent, at least for all intents and purposes, that seemed like the approach here. Um, you know, that she's not going to be able to utilize any sort of size or strength advantage that may have been had, uh, you know, coming into the the fight at 115 pounds the night of. So I'm sure that obviously was playing against her. And then I responded with basically like what I saw take place throughout the fight in terms of her stand up and and just how the fight played out. I said um, I could tell that McKenzie wasn't comfortable stepping into range and that that uncertainty I felt like is what took away her effect, uh, her effectiveness. I said, and you even reminded her it's actually worse to go backward, and she's getting hit anyways so that she needed to go forward. I said, I felt like she even knew that in her mind, uh, but it's all different when you're out there. And that I told him, I wanted to give you credit because the technical ability of Dern's boxing has vastly improved. Uh, she just wasn't able to execute on the night, and you got to give credit to Marina for that. Um, I said, tough break, and these things happen, especially at the highest level. If she processes everything the right way, it's going to be a huge blessing in disguise, and she's going to come back even stronger. I said, respect for you and being honest with your athlete and telling them in the corner exactly what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. I said, you're the man, Perillo, so keep up the great work. And he just said, thanks, bro. I appreciate it. So as far as Mackenzie Dern's concerned, you know, she's still young. She has a lot of opportunities to grow and continue to improve. If you looked on social media, uh, she's already back in the gym at Ruka Today. Uh, Monday, she's right back at it. You know, didn't sustain too many uh, significant injuries, so she's getting right back in the gym and getting back at it, so that's good to see. And as far as the winner, Marina Rodriguez, is concerned, I mean, she's on a tear. She's coming off now a three-fight winning streak, uh, two main events in a row where she's gone the full five rounds, showing she can do the championship rounds. And then the only loss she has in her UFC career is to Carlos Barza, who a lot of people, including Marina Rodriguez herself, Considered to be uh, next in line for the title shot after Wiley Zhang and Rose duke it out, I believe, next month. So that's going to be at UFC 268. So we're going to sit back and watch to see how that fight plays out. And then, uh, yeah, Marina Rodriguez is right in there. But, you know, I think she does need one more before she deserves a title shot. And after some of her post-fight press conference comments, a lot of people, including myself, are actually really psyched to potentially see Marina Rodriguez face Yelena Yungentchik for a potential title eliminator. Uh, basically, Rodriguez said that they thinks she thinks that they should remove Yelena from the rankings because she hasn't competed in a long time and she holds a very valuable spot in the rankings for people like herself who have been active and trying to work their way up uh, to their potential, you know, first title shot. So, with wanna uh, being a former champ, I feel like that'd be a great opportunity for Marina to get another signature win over a big name. And like obviously, this fight was big for her. And then her last fight, she beat Michelle Watterson over the course of five rounds. So. Uh, I think she's looking great, and she's putting things together. She's in her prime as far as her athletic ability and her uh, skills are concerned. So uh, she's really put herself in a good spot to be fighting for the title very soon. So congratulations to Marina Rodriguez on a dominant victory, and uh, we'll see where she goes from here. But I want to know what you guys think. Make sure to drop me a line and let me know who you think uh, she should face as her next opponent. But that does it for the UFC card, guys. But I have to spend a little bit of time before I let you go this week on the incredible heavyweight championship boxing match that took place this weekend. Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder, the trilogy. I mean, what an amazing fight. An incredible show of hard determination by both guys, but all hail the Gypsy King. I mean, fuck, dude, I'm still reeling from Saturday night. Five knockdowns, back and forth drama, culminating with a late 11th round finish. I mean, what more can you ask for? To think of how we got here and to couple that with the way the third meeting played out, There's no question in my mind that this was the craziest, best heavyweight championship boxing I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. A tremendous amount of respect goes out to both guys, but the Bronze Bomber and his team, I want to give a shout out to them for an obviously insane work ethic. And they were really focused in preparing for this third meeting. It was very obvious and like improvements were definitely made, but in the end it just wasn't enough. These guys are giants among men, and both deserve our utmost respect. But all credit goes to Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King. After peeling himself off the canvas, after being dropped twice early in the fourth round, he goes on to end up putting away his opponent in the 11th round with a devastating sequence that ended in a right-hook KO that just basically face-planted Deontay Wilder, and he didn't want any more. The referee didn't even count, immediately waved it off. A spectacular showing. And an amazing fight all around. And in my mind, with that victory, Tyson Fury is easily, without a doubt, should be considered the number one heavyweight boxer in the sport in the modern era, in my lifetime at least. And I don't think there's a debate anymore. You know, Anthony Joshua Wilder and Fury kind of had this, you know, trifecta going on, this little love triangle going on. But now, with Anthony Joshua now dropping his titles twice. And Tyson Fury, you know, coupling these three fights with his story, his comeback story, come back from over 300 pounds in 2018, you know, battling depression, alcoholism, suicidal thoughts. He comes back to face Deontay because he was just tired of listening to them fight over who's the best boxer but not actually fighting against each other. He comes back, draws it out with Wilder in the first meeting, puts him away in the seventh round in the second. And now this fight, the trilogy, Uh, you know, ends up being, as a lot of times in history is the case, the best of the three fights And, I mean, you can't ask for more than this. This is what we watch it for. Rekindling my love for heavyweight championship boxing. And it's definitely one of these fights that I'll be talking about and remember for a long time to come. And the last point I want to make on this is, like, throughout the entire course of the fight, yes, but that finishing sequence in particular, that's going to be a piece of film study that you're going to want to show your pupil if he's a big boy because that's how you fight like a large heavyweight. That's how you weigh on your opponent. That finishing sequence, the way he pushed him off with the forearm and the left hook that missed and then the right hook that ended up putting down wilder was just a thing of beauty so if you guys haven't seen it make sure to go check that out so congratulations to tyson fury on an amazing performance he is the gypsy king and he is without a doubt the king of the heavyweights but that wraps it up for all the action over the weekend guys but we are going to continue on and look uh, ahead to next weekend we got another ufc fight night coming interestingly enough with aspen lad having that uh unfortunate weight miss a couple weeks back, she was actually rewarded, which is rare to see. Two weeks later, she's now getting a main event spot against Norma Dumont in a UFC Fight Night card coming this Saturday. Uh, it is up at featherweight. Notably, Aspen Ladd was missing weight, down one weight class at Bantamweight 135. So uh, after Norma Dumont's performance in her last fight, I think, uh, unfortunately, this isn't going to play out. I mean, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you kind of my pick now. I, I think Norma Dumont's going to come out on top in this one. But I am going to th- go through the card pretty quickly. It's another hashtag, just some fights. A couple notable veterans on the card like Jim Miller and Andrei Arlovsky. But aside from that, nothing too exciting as far as name value. But I'm going to go through the card and give you my pick. So starting at the bottom, open up the card, we have Ariana Carnelosi versus Estela Nunez. Nunez is the plus 140 underdog. Carnelosi, minus 160 favorite. Carnelosi coming into this one with the overall experience advantage and UFC experience advantage. She's got two fights in the UFC, one win, one loss. And this is uh, the UFC debut for Estella Nunez. She does, uh, Nunez, have a slight height advantage. But in this case, I'm going to go with the favorite Ariana Canelosi to get the win. And then moving up the card to the second fight of the night. This one, even as early on in the card as it is, seems like it has high potential to be a fight of the night. With Dana Batrigal versus Brandon Davis. 9-2 Batrigal versus the 10-8 Davis. Brandon Davis is a slight underdog at plus 165 to the minus 195 favorite for Badrigal. And this one looks like it has the potential to be like a scramble fest, high pace, high action, kind of like Charles Rosa versus uh, Damon Jackson in a sense in terms of the pace and in terms of the grappling chops that both of these guys have. They both like to push the pace. They both like to throw hard and sit in the pocket on the feet, but they do have that wrestling in their back pocket. And an interesting stat for me is uh, Badrigal is coming off a two-fight winning streak, but the only loss he does have in the UFC is is a a fight of the night loss, unanimous decision loss, versus Alatelli, which uh, he had actually significantly outstruck his opponent, but he was taken down three separate times. And if you look at Brandon Davis's record, his last fight, because he's actually coming off a two-fight losing skid, but his last fight was a loss against Giga Chikadze, which a lot of people consider to be on the short list of potential future title contenders in the next one or two fights for him. So that's obviously not a loss that you can come away from thinking, you know, Brandon Davis isn't... a up there an elite level fighter because, you know, Giga's obviously very good. And it was actually a split decision lost to him uh, where Brandon Davis was actually able to take Giga Chikadze down three separate occasions. So my my thinking in this fight is that either Brandon Davis is going to be able to take down Dana Batrigal when he needs to in order to mix things up and push the pace in that way if he's not having success on the feet or to just offer a few different things for Batrigal to have to deal with in this fight then he could potentially be the well, more well-rounded in this matchup and come away on top. So there, I think there's a live dog situation. There is value here in going with the underdog Brandon Davis. And I'm going to take a look at the weigh-ins and see. I might end up switching. But for now, I think it's worth a stab at the underdog Brandon Davis to come away on top. Next, we have Ludovic Klein versus Nate Landweiler at featherweight. Another one that could potentially be fighter of the night We've got fireworks written all over it, but this one's kind of a prime example of like anything that happen in MMA because Ludovic Klein's a minus 320 favorite to the plus 250 underdog for Nate Landweiler, and Nate Landweiler is just it's kind of a Tasmanian devil. You don't know exactly what you're going to expect from him. He likes to bring the energy, and he just kind of goes wild at times. And, you know, aside from something like that catching Ludovic Klein or maybe overwhelming him in some way, shape, or form, I think this is pretty academic, and I think the heavy favorite Ludovic Klein comes out with the win here. And then the next one, we have women's flyweight Sajara Eubanks versus Luana Carolina. Sajara Eubanks is a heavy favorite in this spot, minus 300 to the plus 240 underdog for Luana Carolina. And Sajara Eubanks, you know, if you look at her record, it might be a little misleading because uh, she's been in the UFC. She's been an MMA competitor for a long time pretty much a lifelong competitor and she's one of those that's had a little bit of a later blooming in uh, the more recent stage of her multi season career has kind of started to put things together and look like she's finally you know coming into her own and being able to perform at the best of her ability even though she's a little bit Longer in the tooth. And as I said, she has a little bit of a spotty career with uh, an 8-6 and overall record. And she's also coming into this fight with a 2-inch height and reach disadvantage. But Eubanks does have some decent stats on the feet, averaging 4.5 strikes per minute, 43% accuracy, and absorbing less than she uh, lands. So that's positive. Striking differential is always a good thing. But uh, Carolina also lands close to 5 at 4.8 strikes landed per minute and also has a positive striking differential. So I think the difference in this fight is going to be with Sajara Eubanks' is wrestling. And like I said, uh, Eubanks is really looking sharp as of late. She was really look, she's looking bricked up. Looks like she's really been putting a lot of focus in her strength conditioning, and her cardio's been always on point. And she can grind you out. It sometimes may not be the most exciting of fights, but if she can take you down consistently, then she's going to have success. And uh, I think that that's a strong possibility in this fight. Don't count Carolina out, because in her last matchup against Botello, she did seem like she was difficult and had good difficult to take down and had good takedown defense, at least up against the fence, and likes to be offensive in that clinch position, you know, to try to throw it off those takedowns. So there is a risk there for Eubanks. But I think in the end, she'll be able to mitigate that risk and end up grinding out a decision. So I'm gonna go with the heavy favorite in this one, Sajara Eubanks, to get the win. Which brings us to the next one. Well to bout between Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts and Ramzan Ameev. Ramzan Ameev twenty and four overall. Danny Roberts seventeen and five overall. He's got a height advantage of 4 inches at 6'1", Roberts does, over Amiv. Uh, But, oddly enough, Amiv has a 76-inch reach versus the 74 for Danny Roberts. Both Southpaws, both born in 1987. Uh, I feel like Roberts is going to have a significant striking advantage in terms of the technical acumen. But Ramzan Amiv is going to have a significant advantage in terms of the grappling, wrestling, and potential submission or top control, top pressure, TKO, ground and pound, things like that. So this is kind of a similar stylistic matchup that we've seen before. Striker versus grappler, you know, generally put. And I think Ramzan Amiv, uh, especially with the smaller cage at the apex, is going to be able to close down the cage and get Roberts up against it and eventually take him down. And probably grind him out, maybe put him away late or just secure a decision victory. But again, don't count Roberts out, man. He's got crisp striking on the feet. He us- utilizes that range pretty damn well. If he can keep you on the end of his punches, they're nice, they're snappy. And again, he generates a lot of power with his technique. And, you know, if he can keep Ameev uh, at range and outside away from those hips, then, you know, he could potentially pick him apart throughout the fight. And you know how it works with that. He can take enough clean shots. It can throw you off your game. You're sometimes taking desperate shots from far outside. And if you're just not comfortable, we kind of saw it with Mackenzie Dern versus Rodriguez in this last fight, that if you're not comfortable on the feet, you're not gonna be able to mix it up well enough to get the entries needed in order to utilize your grappling heavy game plan. So there's definitely always the risk and potential for that in this fight. But again, I'm gonna go with the favorite. I think Amiv's gonna get it done. So Amiv for the win here. And then moving up the card, next one is the main event of the prelims: Andrew Sanchez versus Bruno Silva. I think if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, this one might have actually been a somewhat of a last-minute switch-up uh, for Silva being swapped in. I there's so many swaps, there's so many scratches, there's so many replacements, there's so many people, you know, getting shuffled to different cards that I can't keep up. But Regardless, 20 and six overall, Silva versus 13 and six overall, Andrew Sanchez. This is a middleweight bout where Silva's only got one fight in the UFC. He's coming off a TKO victory in the first round over Wellington Terman, uh, and then Andrew Sanchez has actually been in the UFC for many years, and he's you know kind of alternating wins and losses over the course of his last few years. And he you know he's coming off a loss himself in January of this last year. He got knocked out in the third round by. Mark moon Muradov. So as far as how these guys look like they match up on paper, I mean, aside from the experience factor, it looks like uh, that Bruno Silva is the rightful favorite here. He's a minus 150 favorite. to 125 underdog uh, for Andrew Sanchez. So not that wide of a line necessarily. So the oddsmakers think this is going to be a close fight. I see a lot of sharps online that uh, are going with Andrew S- Sanchez in this fight. I think they just see that value on the underdog spot because they... Uh, virtually see this fight as a potential coin flip and i'm probably just leaning on the side of experience which makes sense but for my money unfortunately andrew sanchez is just not that trustworthy in terms of going with him for your pick or you know putting your money on him betting wise i mean shouts to the Dogger pass podcast i get a few expressions from them like apple pie and things like that but uh they talk about people that you know fight for your dollar right and in this particular case although the underdog points are you know are out there for the taking i just I don't know. Something doesn't feel right. And, uh, you know, I may switch. I'm, I'm obviously going to look to some of the people that I listen to their breakdowns and see what they're saying and, and why they're, you know, a lot of people are going with Sanchez. And I might end up being convinced. But for now, I think I'm going to stay chalky here and go with the favorite Bruno Silva to come out on top. And then we have the curtain jerker of the main card, which to me is probably the most intriguing fight on the entire card. Jordan Wright versus Julian Marquez. Both these guys are extremely entertaining. They're both wild cards. And not only like crazy and entertaining in terms of their fighting styles, but they're both characters as well. I mean, the the nicknames are Julian the Cuban Muscle Crisis Marquez versus Jordan the Beverly Hills Ninja Wright. So, I mean, I'm sure these guys are definitely going to put on a show, and I'm all here for it. The 12-1 and Jordan Wright versus the 9-2 and Julian Marquez. Uh, Jordan Wright has got, uh, I think he's a 100% finishing rate. He's got uh, two wins, one loss, and one no contest in the UFC. He's coming off a first-round KO over Jamie Pickett in uh, May of this last year, 2021. And he's just a ball of energy, shot out of a cannon. He comes right at you. And he's kind of a killer be killer, at least thus far in his UFC career. Uh, and I think that you know he could easily overwhelm Julian Marquez early, and uh, I'm sure Marquez is going to oblige him because he's a madman as well. So this first round, I'm sure... His coaches are gonna tell him to, you know, chill, try to weather the storm, get through that first round when Jordan Wright is most dangerous, and then take him later into the fight. And uh, Julian Marquez could potentially take him out late, but I think it's gonna be difficult for Marquez to not oblige again because his natural tendency—he's just—he's a—he's an interesting guy. He's, he's a wacky guy. I think he's gonna, you know, do his best to try to stay reserved in the earlier part of this fight, but if he gets caught a few times. He's going to step in that pocket, and they're going to just slang them things. So this is one of those situations where like the temperament of the individual is going to, even though he may be the better or more technical fighter, may be his downfall. One of those things that we both love about them and sometimes can get them the victory uh, can also be the thing that ends up having them go out on their shield when they, when they could have won in maybe a less exciting or less crazy fashion. So that's my prediction for this fight. I think uh, Julian Marquez... Let me double check. I'm not even sure. I didn't even look at the odds. I'm pretty sure he's the favorite there. Yeah, Julian Marquez, pretty heavy favorite. Minus 235 favorite to the plus 190 underdog for Jordan Wright. So I think everyone, you know, at least in the know and in these camps, uh, at least Julian Marquez's camp knows this is a front-loaded fighter. Jordan Wright comes to put you out of there earlier, and he's never really gone later into the, the rounds, and if he has, These fights uh, that he has gone later in the the rounds, he's either got a no contest or a loss in the UFC. So it's pretty likely that Julian Marquez's camp was going to try to stretch this thing out. But my guess is that Jordan Wright is going to make it uh, chaotic enough early that Marquez is going to have to oblige. They're going to throw down. And I'm going with the underdog, Jordan Wright, to get it done. And I know that we don't necessarily need a method for this fight on the podcast. But, you know, it's just an easy recipe to predict that if Jordan Wright gets this thing done, if he ends up coming out on the winning side of things, it's most likely if passes prologue gonna be early in the fight. So I'm gonna call first round knockout for Jordan Wright. And then we have women's flyweight, Manon Fiarat versus Maria Buena Silva. Both these ladies are seven and one, uh five seven for Ferriot, five six for Silva, one inch reach advantage also for Manon Ferriot. Um, and but if you look at the stats in terms of strikes landed per minute, almost eight strikes landed per minute for uh Manon Fiarrat. And I think that uh that's she also doesn't absorb very many strikes. She's got an 80% striking defense. So, uh, what, she, you know, granted, the stats are going to be slightly skewed because she only has two fights in the UFC, but she also has some takedowns, and she's got 100% takedown defense thus far. So, granted, yes, the UFC experience is on the side of Buena Silva here, and that definitely could pay dividends, especially later on in the fight. But I also am going to stay chalky in this one, and I think Fiara is actually going to come away and potentially look Really dominant in this fight. So I'm going to go with the minus 220 favorite Manon out for the win. And then as far as the next two fights go, the featured matchup and then the co-main event, I'm just, you know, full disclosure at the beginning, I'm 100% going with an emotional heart pick for these ones. These guys are two grizzled veterans. Been in the UFC forever. Almost my entire, you know, fandom they've been fighting. And uh, Jim Miller, 32-16, one no contest. And Andre alavski 31-20 and 20 in two no contest. Both these guys have been around the block multiple times over, and it's just inspiring to see them still have success at relatively a uh, high level, you know, this late into their career. Andre Arlowski, you know, has looked like he's down and out several times, come back to surprise us all. And, of course, up at heavyweight, Carlos Felipe, his opponent, 11-1 and 1 overall, could land something clean, but I think Andre Arlowski's got enough tricks to keep it moving and stick and move and keep himself safe to grind out a decision on points. It's not always ideal and it's not always super exciting. But we've seen later on in his career that he's got the ability to do that if he needs to just, you know, get to the next stage and get to get the victory. So, you know, who knows? He could get caught. It's happened before. And, you know, it's very, very likely up there at the heavyweight class. So, uh, But I'm going to go with Andre Arlovsky. And for the co-main event, I'm going to go uh, with the decision. And then uh, for the Jim Miller fight, you guys know I'm a huge fan of Jim Miller. Uh, And anytime he fights, I don't care who it is, uh, up and comer or whatever, I'm 90% of the time going to go with him. And uh, I think that he gets this done early. I think that he gets this to the ground. And I think he gets a submission win over Eric Gonzalez. 14 and 5, Eric Gonzalez. 32 and 16, as I mentioned, for Jim Miller. So a very large uh, experience gap there. And it looks like that they're actually giving Jim Miller. Uh, odds on this one they're actually giving Jim Miller the respect he deserves in my opinion as a minus 210 favorite to the plus 175 underdog for Eric Gonzalez and then also very close pick'em fight in the co-main event as far as the odds are concerned minus 105 underdog to the minus 115 favorite for uh Carlos Felipe so um that one's really close maybe uh, as fight night approaches we'll see you know if the underdog points are still there or not but For purposes of the show, I'm going with them. So, underdog points for Arlovsky. But the favorite, which is kind of surprising to me, for Jim Miller. And not surprising because I don't think he's got the skills. But just generally, the odds makers don't necessarily give him that respect. Because he's, you know, like I said, a little bit older. Been around the block uh, several times. taking a lot of damage over the course of his career. Not necessarily like bad knockouts or bad beatings. But again, you've had that many fights at this level. You're going to take on some injuries. And, uh, you know, he's a little bit longer in the tooth, as we mentioned. And you never know at this stage of the game if this, you know, tonight's the night that Father Time catches up with you or not. But uh, I'm sticking with him, going with Jim Miller to get it done with a first-round submission. Uh, I'm going to see if the boys want to go ahead and do a pick, uh, a method of victory on this one or not. But if he doesn't, just doing it for bracket rights because I think my man's going to get it done. So Jim Miller for the win. Again, Andre Arlowski by decision in the co-main event. And then, as I kind of spoiled at the beginning of the breakdown for the picks uh, for this weekend's card, Aspen Ladd versus Norma Dumont. Norma Dumont, and my complete surprise, is a plus 120 underdog in this spot. She was actually scheduled to face Holly Holm, in the, and Holly Holm uh, got injured and got pulled from this card. And Aspen Ladd, after missing weight two weeks ago, gets rewarded, oddly, like I said, with the main event spot here against Norma Dumont. I think Norman Dumont's going to tune her up on the feet. I don't think Aspen's going to be able to get it to the ground like she's going to want to. And I think Dumont's going to come away with the victory here, Uh, likely by decision, uh, because Aspen Ladd is tough. But uh, I think she's going to get it done. I think she's going to snag me some underdog points too. So Norman Dumont in the main event by decision. But that does it. That wraps up the picks for the UFC fight night, Ladd versus Dumont. And again, some of these picks could possibly change. I'm going to follow up and do some tape study, more tape study in my own research Throughout the weekend, of course, take a look at weigh-in. So, you know, don't necessarily just follow my picks one by one. But if you have been following my picks over the last three or four weeks, I think I'm like 35-5. and I've been absolutely destroying it. I'm only three points behind in the predictions challenge. And I've snuck ahead in terms of the overall win-loss ratio for the entire year. Uh, So I'm creeping up on Nate in terms of the points. Uh, If we stop the season right now because there's a bonus for win-loss, I would come out on top. So, um, I'm on fire, and I'm just going to try to keep that going this week. Again, uh, when I post the uh, post on my Instagram the day of, before the fights start, I do my finalized picks, so if there are any switches, that'd be where you want to look for that, um, and I do those polls as well, so you should go ahead and engage with those on Instagram, but if you guys have been following my picks over the last few weeks, and you actually actually putting, putting some uh, scratch and putting some coin on it, then you're absolutely welcome and uh, you can make the check out the D-Loves Incorporated. Just, you know, hit me up for the address. Uh, but anyways, guys, that does it for me. Uh, I'm through for this week. Make sure to come back next week. We're obviously going to be recapping the outcomes uh, and, and all the action from this weekend's fights, and then looking ahead to next weekend because we got one more fight night coming your way, uh, October 23rd from the UFC Apex, before we jump on a plane and go to Abu Dhabi, the United Arab Emirates for UFC 267, the UFC pay-per-view card that's not a pay-per-view. I'm sorry, a numbered card that's not a pay-per-view, which at first I was actually kind of talking shit on and was like, yeah, it's not loaded. That's why they're not charging for this and not making it a pay-per-view. But at second glance, and now with a couple switch-ups, I'm actually really excited for this card. The co-main event is now a, a bantamweight interim title fight between Corey Sandhagen versus Peter Yan. Aljamain Sterling is out, neck problems. His neck uh, surgery is not... Uh, recovering the way he'd like. He's got some nerve issues, nerve damage. So, in steps, Corey Sanhagen versus Peter Jan. And I'm extremely excited for this battle. I think that one's going to be fireworks in the co-main event. And then, Islam Makachev is facing Dan Hooker in the featured matchup. That one's going to be bonkers. I'm really excited for that one. And then, the main event, believe it or not, is also very exciting to me. It's Jan Blakovich versus Glovich Teixeira for the light heavyweight championship. So, this card, at second glance, I'm really excited for. But, next weekend, we have... Uh, A fight night card. Like I said, one more in between uh, before we get to UFC 267. And this one is going to be headlined by Paulo Costa versus Marvin Vittori. So a a couple freaking Neanderthals going at it. This one's going to be a slobber knocker. So really excited for that one as well. So all kinds of content coming out, guys. Really appreciate you guys and the support and everyone that comes back for every single one. And I look forward to being back here next week and recapping all the action with you guys. But that's it. That does it for this week's installment of the D-Love Special Sauce Podcast. Hope you guys liked the show. If you did, go over to Apple and iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a positive review. While you're there, turn the notification bell on. That way you're on top of all the most current content. If you're already supporting a small independent podcast, please do check out and support all the small businesses that support us just like you guys by listening every week. We got Monique Taylor with Strong Women Designs. We got Dream Loud Collections. My girl Nora, custom handmade jewelry. Check her out. OC Party Rentals. Paint Bay, The Journey of a Modern Day Painter. Upper Glass Tent. Eating Buttery Pancakes is getting people shredded. Vargas Auto Spa. California Shirt Smith. Check out Justin for some custom print works. Blake Builder and the Builder System, MacNoodle, Sabaji, Chef, Ricardo with the Auto Care, South Meals, Angie Snyder, and of course they love two work tonic. But last and not least, MMT Fitness. Make sure to check them out on Instagram. Make sure to go out and check out the gym. Exit Avery Parkway off the 5 Freeway. First class is always free. Tell them the DLSS podcast sent you. But that does it for this week, guys. Until next week, same time, same place. Enjoy the fight.